You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now, in the 20 and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. Kind of a sober way to start a chapter, isn't it? We're right in the middle of an event here where they, they, they're having meeting. If, let's back up, if you would, to chapter 8 real quick. Chapter 8, verse number 2, And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both the men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. All right, so let's keep the time frame. The first day of the seventh month. All right, where did I just read? He said, now in the 20 and 4th day. All right, help me out college students. 1 to 24. How many days has it been? Okay, they don't know. All right. We started on day 1. We're now on day 24. How many days has it been? 20 something. All right. They're not sure. They're 20 something. All right. So now that they've been for over 3 weeks of their life, they've been listening to the word of God. The Bible says that they would read the Word of God and the people would actually camp out and they would get around and listen to the Word of God as Ezra was reading. Now they've already, they've already built the wall. The wall has been built and established. Now they're going to build their nation, their families, their, their personal lives. They will build that now. Let's read Nehemiah chapter number 9, verse number 2. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confess their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. I believe all of us could stand today and confess our sins and also the sins of our fathers. I'm talking about previous generations. As a nation, I believe we could do the same, don't you? And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one-fourth part of the day. A lot of Baptists, you let them stand for two or three minutes and they're tired. You let them read for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning and they're, they're so worn out. Could you imagine the fourth part of a day? But the Bible says they read for the fourth part of the day. And listen what they did for the next. And another fourth part, they, what did they do? What did they do, church? So they read and then they confessed. Wow. Hours of reading, hours of confession. We spend minutes in reading and a few minutes praying and think we've really done well. All of us, oh, all of us could spend more time with God, couldn't we? The Bible says, and they, and they confessed and worshiped. So not only did they confess, not only were they reading, but they were also worshiping as well. And I don't know if you know the context, but they in, in, verse, in, in chapter number 8, they would actually bow their faces to the ground and lift up their hands unto the Lord in humility, humbleness, a broken heart, a contrite spirit. 
As they heard the word of God, God began to convict their heart and soul in such a way they just fell on their faces and they began to weep and to cry. And we picked up in our chapter 9 and they were in sackcloth and ashes in the morning after listening to the word of God for over three weeks of their life. God has so spoke to their heart that all they can do is weep and cry. Folks, this to me is a great revival that's breaking forth. In the nation of Israel. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God sent a great revival to America? Wouldn't that be wonderful if God sent a great revival to this country of ours? Wouldn't it be grateful? Wouldn't it be great if God sent a revival to this church? But God's not going to send a revival to a nation or a church until we have, revi- until we have revival as individuals. Revival is an individual event that will eventually possibly turn into a collective event. But it has to start with someone. That someone might be you. It might be me. If we could just say, God, I need revival. Would you mind bowing your hearts and your eyes? And Father, if you would help us preach. Please send revival to us. Lord, I pray that you settle in our hearts tonight. Draw us close to you, Lord. I pray you bless Brother Treber, Mrs. Treber. I'm so honored to stand behind this pulpit. Lord, one of the greatest privileges of my life is to preach here. Thank you for it. If you would, Lord, stir our hearts in such a way. Please, Lord, do it for us tonight. Lord, let us leave here, having been drawn closer to you. I love you. I want to tell you thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I found out that the Word of God has a place, a a preeminent place, a place of priority when it comes to revival. I understand there has to be prayer And many times you hear revival preaching and it's focused on prayer because prayer is us communing with God. But in in Ezra's reading in Nehemiah's day, in Ezra's day, as they're reading the Word of God, the Word of God becomes a priority when it comes to their revival. They had no revival outside of the Word of God. They picked up the book of Moses Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they began to read simply what the law said. And they got so stirred in their hearts, they got so stirred in their soul, they began to weep and to cry, Oh God, forgive us for what we've done. Forgive us for where we've been. Forgive us of how we sinned. Folks, I don't know about you, but they had the first five books of the Bible, and they were getting a hold of God. We've got 66 books of the Bible. God should be able to get a hold of us, shouldn't he? How many of you are thankful for the Word of God tonight? I thought about the Bible as they were confronted with the Scriptures. They, I mean, head first, I mean, headlong, right in their soul, right in their face. Ezra began to just read the Word of God. And as he read the Word of God and they were confronted with the Scriptures, it's amazing how the Word of God began to pierce their hearts and their souls. The Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce not just the mind. It's able not to pierce, not just the intellect, 
But the Word of God is able to pierce your very heart and soul. It gets down and it separates the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's able to discern inside of us. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God tells us who God is. Do you realize if there was not a Bible, we would not know who God is? He tells us that God is God alone. There is none like Him. You know Genesis chapter number 1. The students may not know math, but I bet they know Genesis 1, don't they? In the beginning, what does it say? God. In the beginning, God. He's not one of many gods. He's the only God. He does not hold, well, we just put Him on the list, down in the list of the gods. No, no, no. He's not on the list. Well, we'll put him, preacher, at the top of the list, and he will be the God. He's not interested in being at the top of the list. He is the only God on the list. There is no other God. That's just who he is. There is no one like him. He is God, and he's God alone. I would not know that if it were not for the Word of God, that there is none like him. He said, I'll have no other gods before him. He said he's not going to share place with anybody. He's not going to share a seat with anyone else. He wants to be preeminent in your life and in my life. He does not want any other God to take place where he belongs. He belongs first place in our lives, doesn't he? That's who God is. It tells me who Jesus is. Have you thought about this? We would not know who Jesus was if it wasn't for his word. He tells me, oh, how he is. You know, he's the prince of life. Did you know that? The Bible says that he's the beginning. Not only is he the beginning, but he's also the ending as well and everything in between. He is the I am. He, in other words, he, he was and he is and he will be. He's everlasting. He has no beginning and he has no ending. He has no starting point. He has no ending point. He has no creation because he always has been. I mean, there was not a time where Jesus, well, we created God and created, no, no, no. He just was, the Bible says. He was. Jesus Christ, he's our redeemer. He's our father. He's our shepherd. He's our friend. He's a faithful friend. He's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. He'll be one that stays right there with you. And he says this, he will never leave you. He'll never walk away from you. That's who Jesus Christ is. If it wasn't for the Bible, I wouldn't even know who Jesus was. I want to thank God for him. The Bible says he's the lamb. Aren't you glad for the sacrifice Jesus made for us? He's the lily of the valley. He's the dearest friend I've ever had. He's our kinsman redeemer. He's our rock. He's our shield. He's our deliverer. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the bride and the morning star. I love Jesus, and I hope you do as well. But I wouldn't know anything about him if it wasn't for the Word of God. You need to learn to love the Bible. It's not just a book. It is the book. It's not just another part of your collection of books. There is no other book like the Bible. This book tells us not only who God is, it tells me who Jesus is, and it tells me who I am. I tell you who I am. I'm a sinner that was on my way to hell. But one day Jesus came by and he saved my soul. I am so thankful that Jesus showed up that day and he said, I'm not going to leave you where you are. I'm going to take you where you can't go on your own. I'm going to save your soul and set your feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord that he came and told me who I was. 
I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus saves old sinners. Tells me who I am. Tells me who he was. I found out about the word of God. It tells me the redemption story. It's a love letter. A love letter that was written to us. I hope some of you men write love letters to your wives. You say, preacher, I'm too old for that. Go tell somebody else. Don't tell me. I like love letters from my wife. You say, well, she tells you that all the time. Every time we hang up on the phone, she says, I love you. You know what I tell her? I love you. I guess over the years, thousands of times, I've heard I love you and she's heard. And I've heard that and she's heard it as well. I love you. 26 years later, I never get tired of hearing, I love you. And every so often, she'll write me a little note, and she'll say something real sweet in it, if she can find something to say sweet about me. She'll write something sweet, and she'll tell me how much she loves me. And every so often, I'll write her a little note, and I'll tell her how much I love her. And there's just something a little extra special. And I know some of you are like, preacher, we don't write notes anymore. That's old-fashioned. We text nowadays. And I understand but there is something because it's hard. It's hard to spray perfume on a text. Somebody say amen right here, all right? It's hard to get a little swift whiff of that perfume when you're reading a text, isn't it? You college boys have no idea. No idea. No idea. This book tells me of the redemption story. It's a love story written from heaven. It tells us how Jesus died for us because he loved us. This book tells us of a place called heaven that we're going to, and it tells us of a place called hell that we don't have to go to. Amen. Aren't you glad we don't have to go to hell? This book that I hold in my hand, it's accurate in its history. It's precise in its prophecy. It is practical in its application. It is of no private interpretation. It is given to us by inspiration. It is, it, is, it is kept by preservation. There is no book like the Bible that I hold in my hand. How many of you love the Word of God? Can you say amen? Just hold them up real good and say, thank God for the Bible. Aren't you glad for the Word of God? This book that you hold in your hand is precious tonight. This book tells us about history, but it's not just a history book, even though it contains history. This book tells us all about the past, the present, and the future as well. This book is, is current. This, this book is more current than today's newspaper and today's news. This book is truth, and it cannot lie. This book has been tried, but it will not crumble. This book has been tested, but it has never failed. This book is rare. It is real. And it has been recognized as the book that has stood the test of time. This book is the best-selling book of all times. The judges in our school, the judges said, let's kick it out of our schools. The public said, let's get it out of our public places. The politician says, we don't need it anymore. It's archaic, it's old. But I have news for them. You can kick it out of the schools. You can move, remove it from public places but the word of God will stand. Amen. Voltaire, Voltaire, the French philosopher said, you probably heard this, he said that one day, he said that in a hundred years after my death that the Bible will be in a, a museum piece. 
But a hundred years after Voltaire died, guess what? The French Bible Society moved into his house and the Bible still stands. You say, it'll never, live, it'll never make it, it'll never survive. It's too old, it's too, too archaic. Yep, yep. Oh, this old Bible. Hey, somebody said, well, what are we going to do, preacher? Well, we're going to, the English language keeps evolving and changing. And, you know, these words are getting out of date. I've got news for you. Jesus will come back before we need another Bible. I tell you that much. It is for set, it's settled in heaven. Thank God for the book. We as a church, we need to love it, read it, need it, and heed it. That's what the Word of God does for us. So as they stood and they read it, and it's a shame, and I'm thinking about tonight how the preachers have started putting doubt on this book. If a preacher ever stands, and never would behind this pulpit, I'm sure, but if you ever hear a preacher stand and say a better rendering, now listen to me, a better rendering would be this. It doesn't matter how smart he is, he's pretty dumb. A better word would be this. No, no, no. No, no, no. We don't need another word. If God wanted us to have a better word, he would have put it there for us, right? You should thank God for the word that he's given us. Have you ever thought about this? You're holding the very words of God in your hand tonight. I hope you love it. Matthew Henry said that ministers, when they go to the pulpit, should take their Bibles with them. Ezra, as he began to read, he stood behind a pulpit. I'm so grateful for pulpits. I know they're just pieces of wood, but there is something sacred about this desk. Something sacred about it. And we've kept that tradition over the years to where Ezra stood behind that pulpit, and we put pulpits in our churches. And this is where the man of God stands. He delivers the Word of God to those who are listening to the Bible. So we've not changed our methods over the years. So they began to hear the word of God and as they were confronted with, their, uh, confronted with the scriptures and they heard the scriptures, it led to a conviction in their soul and they, they began to confess their sins before God. You know what I believe? If we're going to have a great revival, we need to get back to confessing our sins. Now I know people in California have no sins, right? No, no I'm just kidding. You folks are perfect in every way. But where I come from, we still have sin. We still deal with people who drink and smoke and dope, and we have those things. Just as you do here. I'm just amazed that Jesus Christ is able to change a man's life. Through what? Through the Word of God. Some of you, if it had not been for the preaching of this book, you might not even be alive today. For some of you, if it had not been for the preaching of the Bible, your families might not even be together tonight. If it had not been for the preaching of the Word of God, you may not even be where you are right now in your work and your business and your relationships. But God's Word has changed your life. All right, I want to ask you a question. And I know they're probably playing, are they playing football right now? You, do you know if they're playing football? You have no idea. Does it bother us that 60,000 people are a few blocks down the road screaming at a bunch of fat guys who are trying to tackle each other? Does that bother anybody that 60,000 people will get into a, a, a stadium and, and scream at a football? 
and you cannot get that many people to come to church on Sunday? Does it bother us anymore? The things that are going on in our country. See, the children of Israel, they got bothered. I believe the children of God today need to get bothered once more time. Is anyone bothered at this? That preachers are standing behind lecterns, sitting on stools, and just sharing. Sharing. You know what I say to you? You ought to thank God for preaching. Does it bother you anymore? They've removed our pulpits and they've taken that down and said, let's just talk a little while. We need the preaching of God's word to resound in our churches again. Is anyone bothered that now you can go down the roads and the highways and buy pot and go to the uh, smoke marijuana and do all those things? Does that bother anyone? We need to get out of the pot house and get back to the potter's house. Is anyone bothered that we have a president who's making a platform on killing babies? He wants to kill the innocent children who have not been born, and that's going to be his platform for the next election. Does that bother anyone? Does it bother anyone that our leaders cannot stand up and tell us that a man has to go to a man's restroom and a woman has to go to a woman's restroom? At least where I come from in Georgia, we still know the difference. Somebody say amen right there, all right? I mean, when, they, when they're born, they, they tell us right then. In California, they say, you got to wait five years, six years, eight years. No, I'm just kidding. That's not California, is it? But does it bother us that we don't even know who we are anymore? Does it bother us that our country is spiraling down into, it seems like a pool of, a cesspool of sin? Is it bothered us that women are fighting our battles for us while men are staying at home watching the children? Does it bother us? Does anything bother us anymore? When something across the television or the phone or device, whatever it is, when, that, when something sinful comes across, does that bother us anymore? Has anyone bothered that 4,500 churches are closing their doors every year? Is anyone bothered that less than 50% of Americans attend church nowadays? Does that bother anyone that less than 50% actually even attend church? Is it bothering or does it bother anyone that our homes are crumbling to the ground? Does it bother you tonight that our souls around us are dying and going to hell? Does that stir our souls anymore? Yesterday when we flew in, we were coming in over the, well, I guess you say we kind of came across, as we came across America, you can leave the eastern seaboard. As you leave the eastern coast and come across, it gets less and less populated. But I would look occasionally in, this, uh, in Kansas, you'd see all the little uh, just fields of just people with things are planted all over. And you'd see little communities scattered out here. And I, was, I would look out the window and I'd say, I wonder if those people have ever heard about Jesus out in the middle of that field. And as we got closer to those Rocky Mountains and I began to look over and I saw Boulder, Colorado. I looked down and I said, I wonder if those people have ever heard about Jesus and as we came across those mountains, and I began to come over here, and as we left there, and all of a sudden you opened up into this valley. And houses just all just as far as you can see this way 
as far as you can see that way. And I wonder, has anyone ever told them about Jesus? I said, how does North Valley reach all the people over there? And how do they reach all the people way over there? And how do they reach all the people towards the coast and over here towards the mountains? And how do they reach them south and north? And how do they reach them all? I'll tell you how we reach them all. We, gotta, we must get a burden for the souls of men again. Well, preacher, but we, we saw some saved today. Well, that, that was wonderful. I thank God for salvation. But let me tell you, there's tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands, if not millions, that still need Jesus Christ as their Savior. You've not reached them all just yet. We've not reached them all yet. We're not, we've not reached them all yet. And we can't be satisfied until everyone has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus comes, I don't want to stand before him with blood on my hands. Does it bother us that people are dying without Christ? All I can say is, if nothing else, at least sinners dying and going to hell ought to stir our soul again. So Nehemiah, excuse me, as Ezra read, 24th day of this reading, the Bible says in verse number 2 that they stood and they confessed the iniquities of their fathers. And I'm not here tonight to say I need to confess for you or you need to confess for me. But I'll tell you what we need. We need to confess before God. First of all, our shortcomings our sin. But then also maybe somebody would say, you know, preacher, if no one else has revival in this church, I would love to have revival. I want to have revival. I want God to do something in my life personally. These people began to confess their sins, their iniquities, and they're fasting and they're praying and they've got sackcloth on their head and earth upon their head. And they, and they begin to cry and they begin to weep. And they're asking God to heal their land. And the Bible says in verse number 3 that as they heard, they read the book of the law of the Lord, their God. Here's what they did. They confessed and they worshiped. Preacher, I, I want to get, I, I get excited about Jesus. I'll tell you what. The way to get excited about Jesus is to find a place at an old-fashioned altar. Pour your heart out to God. God, I am sorry for what I've done and what I've not done. For the sins of what we call commission and omission. Things I've done I shouldn't do and things that I didn't do that I should do. Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. And hit an old-fashioned altar. And after we come to the altar, and then you can find yourself in a place of worship. You hear much about worship in today's society, don't we? They have worship services. They have at our place, I don't know if they have them out here, but they have what we call contemporary worship. Y'all understand what that term is out here in the West Coast? Contemporary worship. And then they have traditional worship. So you can go to the contemporary or the traditional. And the thing is, we want to, they say we want to reach the young people by our worship. And I would say that the young people need to be reached not by our worship. The young people need to be reached by our God. If they ever get reached by our God, they won't have any problem with the worship. 
When God gets a hold of their heart, it's not I've got to do something to entertain them. They just want to fall in love with Jesus to get help. They're worshiping Him. All because of what Jesus did for them. The children of Israel began to weep and to cry and to beg God to heal their land, restore their families, to restore their nation. God help us. They begin to cry and they begin to mourn. And as they begin to cry and mourn and confess, they begin to worship. And as they begin to worship, I believe you saw that nation start coming together one more time. That nation start pulling together. And God began to have his hand upon those people again. They had built the wall. But now they're building themselves in the work of God. We need revival. But revival must start, I believe, putting a priority, of course, on prayer. But here it is. We need to put a priority on the Word of God. Amen. So tomorrow, tonight, sometime in your day, this book needs to be a part of your life. This morning, it blessed my heart. As I was down here, I think it's Brother Reamers, were you talking to these folks down here? And I was watching him as he's down, and he's down talking to them like this. And he's got his, hold on just a second, I almost said it. As he's talking to them, he's got his, not his thoughts, not his opinion, not how he felt, not what he was thinking in his mind, or not what he thought they should do. But he opened up the Word of God, and he began to explain, I'm pr probably Romans chapter number 3, Romans chapter number 6. I don't, I don't know where all he went, but he began to explain to them what the Bible says that they must do to be saved. And then those men bowed their heads and trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know why? It was the Word of God that did the work. It wasn't him. It's not me. It's not you. But it's the Bible that gets the job done. I would ask you, would you fall back in love with this book? Because if you'll fall in love with this book, you can't help but fall in love with Jesus. Because he even put this book even above his name. They were comforted. We need a revival that involve, involves realness and repentance and rejoicing. A revival that involves a fresh love for God and his word. A revival that involves, I guess you'd say, a fire in our souls, and a love for Jesus. Is anybody here longing for revival? Thirsty. We've read about it. We, we've, we've, we've seen glimpses of it. But I believe for this year, this day, this hour, this is the time that this church, my church, and churches across this land need to experience a heaven-sent heaven revival. Don't wait for the preacher to bring revival. Don't wait for the song leader to get revived. Don't wait for your Sunday school teacher to get revived. Why can't the class members get revived? Why can't the church members get revived? Why can't the college students get revived? Why can't we have a personal revival that might just stir us in such a way that when it comes Wednesday night, we're going, hey, can't wait to get to church tonight. When I go to work tomorrow, can't wait tomorrow because you know what God did in my heart today? I got to go out and tell somebody what Jesus has done for me and what he's done for me, he can do for them as well. 
That's what happens when we get revived in our spirit. Jesus is on our mind all the time. I'd like for you to pray with me if you would. Ezra, all he did was just read the Bible. All he did was just open up the book. And the people began to pray and to weep and to cry. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.